Well, as we talked about last week, and maybe you weren't here last week, uh, maybe you missed the, the message last week, just want to remind us of why we're studying Ecclesiastes. Because if you tell the, the average person, hey, we're doing a study on Ecclesiastes, they're going to roll their eyes, or they're going to wonder what in the world was the pastor thinking to choose that book. Uh, and the reason why we're studying Ecclesiastes is because, number one, I want you to, to, to change your, your thoughts about this book. I want you to start loving the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to look forward to it when it's, it's DBR time and you come to the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't want this to be one of those, okay, let's just grin and bear it and get through it. I want you to look forward to this book because of the richness that's contained in this book. Part of that richness is the second goal. I want you to learn to love life under the sun. Solomon talks about life under the sun, and that phrase under the sun is his way of just talking about everyday life. When you wake up in the morning and you get dressed and you go to work and you work during the day and then you come home and you're home with your family and you're home with your wife and life is the, the weekend activities, it's taking care of the yard, it's doing the errands that you need to get done, it's, it's completing the honey-do list, that's, that's all life under the sun. And if we understand it the way that Solomon wants us to understand it in this book, we are going to find that we can truly love and enjoy that life that God has provided for us. Third, I want us to learn from death. Our culture wants to soft-pedal death and speak euphemistically about death and sidestep the subject. But the reality is, right, that all of us are looking at death as, as our very real part of our future, unless Christ comes back first, right? There was a sweet old lady in the last church I was at that said, look, I'd rather fly than die. So she was praying for the rapture before her, uh, her death. But for most of us, unless the Lord does return, we're going to end up dying. And Solomon tackles the issue of death head on. And he talks about how we should live in light of death. And so that's a, another reason why we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And then also to, to loosen our grip on the things of the world. And we'll do that a little bit more uh, in this opening chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning, the rest of chapter one this morning. Solomon, he takes his, his pry bar, the, the word of God, and he begins to, to pry open our hands as we are holding fast to some things that are really and have become idols in our lives. Some things that we look to for ultimate meaning, purpose, joy, satisfaction, hope that aren't God. And, and Solomon wants us to let those things go. Not that we get rid of them or forsake them or abandon them, but we just need to loosen our grip and make sure that we strengthen our grip on the God of the universe. And then finally, as we do this and as we consider all of these things, we're studying Ecclesiastes because I really want us to be better prepared for the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat appears in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where Paul says that all of us as Christians are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. So that's that time of, of the evaluation of our lives, men, where we will receive the reward or we will see what has been wasted, that wood, hay, and stubble. We'll, we will see that burn up there at the Bema Seat of Christ. So my desire is through studying the book of Ecclesiastes that our lives will be lived more faithfully to the Lord and we will be better prepared for that day. And in fact, that's Solomon's conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes. The series is called The End of the Matter and that comes from Ecclesiastes 12, 13 where Solomon says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And then he says this in verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So part of Solomon's intention here is to get us ready for that final evaluation so that we would live lives faithful to God, live lives under the sun in a way that pleases and honors him. This passage this morning, though, it's, it's interesting because it's going to feel a little bit similar to what we talked about last week in some ways, but 
the spin this time is that Solomon is telling us that God has put us in the way of disappointment. I think about as, as I get into this, the, the times that I get to get on the floor and wrestle with my kids, which is something that I love to do. It's some of my favorite time, and I've got five of them, and yet I'm proud to stand up here before you this morning and tell you that they have yet to pin me. Now, two of them are three. One of them's a girl, one of them's five, and then there's my 11-year-old. My 11-year-old has the best chance, but he's still not there yet. But they all come at me at once, and I keep telling them, look, guys, you can't beat me. I'm bigger than you. I'm going to put you down. You cannot get me. You cannot pin me. It doesn't matter. They'll still come at me. They'll still try to do everything they can, and the twins just run and jump and usually jump over the pile. But they're trying to pin me, and, and yet I, I know that there's no way they're going to be able to, at least not yet. And there's no way I'm going to let them because I know the day come, will come when they can. And so I'm going to get all the glory that I possibly can before then. But they keep coming at me despite the fact that the reality is there's no way it's going to happen. And I let them keep coming at me because in keep, continuing to come at me, they learn the lesson that what dad has told them is actually true because they've experienced it now for themselves. Well, the Bible tells us that our ultimate hope and joy, and satisfaction, and purpose in life needs to be anchored to God. The Bible's made that clear from the outset. In, in fact, one of the first commandments is all about that. You shall have no other gods before me. And we read that, and we hear God tell us that. But just like the Israelites, we, we need more than just hearing. We need to experience the, the, the flip side of that to understand, oh, okay, God, now I get it. And that's what Solomon is saying that God has done with this world, is he's created this world, he's designed this world to disappoint. He's designed this world to leave us wanting what this world can't provide because he wants us to desire and want him. And so he's told us, look, your affection needs to be for me and me alone. Don't go after the things of the world. The things of the world will not satisfy you. Don't do it. Don't go after them. He's told us those things, but now Solomon's saying he's not only told us those things, but he's designed this world so that we will also experience that. And his design and his goal and his end is that in experiencing that disappointment, we will turn our affections towards him. Ecclesiastes 1, let's pick up in verse 12. Solomon says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Further evidence that this is Solomon, because he says he has been king over Israel. Notice, not king over Judah, the king over all of Israel. And earlier in, Sol in Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the only son of David that was king over all of Israel in Jerusalem was who? Solomon, right? Because after Solomon, you have the divided monarchy that splits. So again, further evidence, this is Solomon. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is, there's our word from last week, vanity. It's fleeting, striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Back in verse 12, 
I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. If you left last week or last time together a little bit frustrated with Solomon's conclusion, a little bit frustrated with the reality that we live in, and that is that all of the pleasures and all of the the joys and all of the happiness in this earth is vanity. And remember, we talked about that word vanity. It doesn't mean meaningless or futile or pointless. It means what? It means fleeting. It's like the the steam off the cup of coffee. It's there and then it's gone. And, and, And to try to hold on to the pleasures and and joys in this world is like trying to grasp that steam. That's what Solomon was saying in the opening of this book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so if, if that left you frustrated, you're not alone. Because I, I believe what we see in the opening of our passage here, as Solomon in verse 13 says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out all by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. I think what we see is Solomon was unhappy with that conclusion as well. His initial read on things, saying that everything is fleeting, everything is vanity. It's, it's, you, you can't find anything that's lasting. If you go back to verse 3, when he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Solomon wants to have an answer to that question. He wants to say, this is the gain that's to be found with all of the toil that we labor with under the sun. It's not all vanity after all. And I think that's what we find here at the, the opening in chapter, 12, or chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says, I, I applied my heart. It's the Hebrew word lev there. And it's the, the seat of the emotion, the intellect, and the will. Solomon's saying, I put everything I have into trying to find some viable answer to that question of chapter 1, verse 3. Is there any gain to be found with all the toil at which one toils under the sun? Is there any lasting substance? Solomon says, look, I'm, I'm giving everything that I have. I'm applying my whole heart he says to seek and to search out. There's a repetition of that concept of searching there that the, the writer uses, that Solomon uses. And in Hebrew, it was a way to emphasize his point. And that word seek implies depth. This is a deep study Solomon is, is commencing. He's looking into this and he's not just giving it a cursory glance. He's, no, he's going deep into this quest to try to find Is there some sort of substance? Is there anything lasting that we can look at under the sun and say, this is where my hope, this is where my joy, this is where my satisfaction can be found. But then he says, I also was not just seeking, but searching out. And that searching out is is that exploring exploring widely and, and, and far. He's not just looking at this from one angle. Another way to consider this is to, to consider it from multiple points of view. He's like the golfer that's ready to make the putt to win the championship. And that golfer is going to walk around that putt. And he's going to look at that putt from every single angle on the green because he wants to study every contour and every curve and every undulation to make sure that he knows the path that that ball is going to travel between his putter and the cup. He's considering it from every angle. Solomon's saying, that's what I've done here with everything under the sun. All that is done under the sun. Everything? Really, Solomon? Seems like a bold claim. And sir, sure, it's, it's, it's hyperbolic to a certain extent, but if there was anyone qualified to search out everything done under the sun, it, it was this man. In 1 Kings 3.12, we find out that, that God granted Solomon, as a result of his request, more wisdom than any man who had ever walked the face of the earth. And but for Jesus Christ, I don't know that there's any man that has come since Solomon that had the wisdom that Solomon possessed. Beyond that, he was the king over Israel. He was incredibly wealthy. 
incredibly powerful. And so he had at his disposal the resources, both through his wisdom, his wealth, and and then also thirdly through his power to be able to commence this search that he's talking about here. And he searches far and wide. You know, it's like when you go to make a, a new purchase. If you're like me, you go and you read the reviews. And you don't read the reviews just from one website because you want to guard against those fake reviews, which really, if there's a tool of Satan out there, it's the fact that there's fake reviews on the internet, right? Because how else are we supposed to trust the review of the television? You read the review and you think to yourself, well, some, that's fake. That's a five-star review. That's fake. So here's what I do. I don't know if you're like me, but I go find the three-star reviews because I figure those are the ones that actually bought the product. And I find the best product that has the the most positive three-star reviews that I can find, and I end up buying that one. So I basically live with mediocre technology in my house, is what I'm trying to say. No, but but if you've ever made that big purchase, and and you just, it's so weighty to you, you want to know everything that you can know on the front end before you make the purchase. So you are seeking, going in depth on it, and you are going wide. You are searching out. You're considering this thing from every possible angle and from multiple perspectives and voices out there because you want to have the most full-orbed answer to, is this the product that you want to purchase? That's what Solomon's doing with this question, is there gain to be found here on earth? He's looking at it and considering it from every angle, and he's doing it, he says in the text there in verse 12, by, or verse 13, by his wisdom. And so Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, except for maybe Jesus, not maybe, except for Jesus Christ, Solomon is using the wisdom that God has granted him to evaluate everything that he takes in here in this search and in this quest to to find out the answer to this question in chapter one, verse three. Is there anything to be gained from all the toil at which I toil under the sun? Is there substance? And what's his conclusion? Look at verse 13 there, the second part. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What's this unhappy business? It's this search for lasting substance and satisfaction under the sun. Unhappy. It's a word in the the Hebrew that means miserable, harmful, injurious. The Christian Standard Bible actually translates this miserable. It's a miserable thing that God has given mankind to be busy with. The NET New English translation says, it's a burdensome task that man has to be busy with. And it's this business, this work. It's a a word that business is unique to the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's not work as you think about work vocationally. It's work as as almost we think about in the the secular world, the word fate. This is the the, the toil. This is the, the lot of every man to be busy with this task of trying to find lasting substance and satisfaction in this earth. It's a miserable task. It's a burdensome task. It's a grievous task. But look at more closely what he says there. It's an unhappy business that, what is the next phrase there? That God has given to the children of man. That God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We like to talk about the gifts of God, but we like to talk about the gifts of God from James's perspective, right? That every good gift comes from the Father above. We like to talk about the gifts of God as Jesus talked about the Father when he said in talking about prayer, look, if you earthly fathers know not to give your, your child a stone when he asks for bread, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the things that you need? We, we like to think about the gifts of God in that sense, but Solomon is saying there's a different gift that God has given, and he's given it to every single person who's ever been born, and that is this 
busyness that we have of trying to find satisfaction here on earth from a world that can't satisfy. See, men, your discouragement with this world, your disappointment, your deflation with this world and the things in this world is from God. In fact, it's a gift from God. It's part of his created order, part of his created design for your life and for my life. Our first point together this morning is this. Realize that God created you to want what this world can't provide. God created you with a desire for something that this world can't meet. And that's difficult for us to come to terms with. That my disappointment is from God. So whether that's that that promotion that you finally got that you were looking forward to and now you have it and now it's two months later and you're thinking to yourself, man, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. This isn't as satisfying as I thought it would be. Or maybe it's the new car that now is three or four months old and when you get in the new car, you're using every ounce of your olfactory capabilities to try to get one last, last scent of that new car smell but you realize that it's quickly wearing off and it smells more like the McDonald's fries that your kids dropped in the back seat. And it's lost its luster and it's not as satisfying anymore. Or it's that new television that you bought that when you first pulled it out of the box and hung it on the wall and turned it on, you said, wow, look at that picture. It's amazingly clear and bright. And then three weeks later, you go to Costco and you see the newer model that's out there that's even better and you go home and it's lost its sheen. It's not as satisfying to you anymore. And those feelings of disappointment and deflation, Solomon's saying that's from God. He's designed that for us. Augustine said it this way of the Lord. He said, you, God, have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it find rest in you. Our heart is restless. We're, we're, we're running from from idol to idol, from idol to idol, looking for satisfaction, looking for rest, looking for fulfillment, looking for us to finally be able to sit down and say, okay, now I'm satisfied. Now I'm happy. Now I'm content for the rest of my life. And we all know it to be true. And Solomon knew it to be true. And Augustine knew it to be true because he says this, look, the heart is restless until it finds rest in God. And men, that's why this is not a depressing book because what Solomon's doing here is he's confronting us, yes, and he's knocking us down, yes, and he's cutting our legs out from under us. And in some ways it's painful, but at the same time he's doing it so that we can ultimately find the satisfaction, rest, hope, and joy that, that we're longing for. Where? In God. I mean, just look what he's done, what God has done over the last year with us. In our desires as, as men, we, we want to have security in our life. We want to, uh, to have some sort of confidence about what our future holds in our life. We want some sort of, of, of reign and control on our, our health. If we take our multi, multivitamin and, and go to the gym occasionally, we want to have confidence that we're going to be okay, that there's not some pandemic that's creeping out there that's ready to take us down at a, a moment's notice. And yet look at what God has done over the last year to our sense of security, to our sense of confidence about what the future holds, and to our confidence that we can stay healthy. And that was just with one tiny, simple virus. 
tiny, simple in God's eyes. See, God creates this world and he brings things into this world and into our lives in order to crush us and disappoint us and deflate us. Even when we get everything that we want. Think about Robin Williams. An actor who had everything that he wanted. He was at the top of his career. His profession was to make people laugh and he was good at it. Money was not an issue. Possessions were not an issue. He was married. He had kids. He had a family. None of that was an issue. He had what he needed and everything that he needed, and yet he was not satisfied. And his lack of satisfaction and the restlessness that he had, because ultimately he could not find rest with God, drove him to take his life. We understand when the CEO of a Fortune 500 company that goes belly up and he has to lay off thousands of people and all of a sudden he's at the end of his rope, we understand when he takes his life. But when a guy like Robin Williams ends his life, what despair, what dissatisfaction, what emptiness, what disappointment must there have been from a, a man who had reached the pinnacle, reached the top and found out this is all there is. And Solomon's saying, that's from God. You can have it all, own it all, read it all, believe it all, but in the end, it's not going to give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. Solomon realized that, and that's why he said this in verse 14. He echoes his opening indictment from verse 2. He says in verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. He said, look, I set out to explore it all. I've seen it all. And behold... All is fleeting. Everything is vanity. Every joy, every promise, every accomplishment, every relationship. Solomon pushes back from the table and says, look, man, I've had it all. I've had the wealth. I've had the women. I've had the sex. I've had the possessions. I've had the power. I've had the might. I've had the prestige. And in the end, it's just fleeting. It's vanity and a chasing after wind. Again, What's different between this week and last week? This idea that this is from God. And maybe you're waiting for the the corner to turn in the text. Okay, but let's get to Solomon's, yeah, but. Let's get to the place where he says, except for this over here, this is not vanity. And I'm sorry to disappoint, but verse 15, if that's where you're at, you're waiting for that, verse 15 is not that for you. Because Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. One author put it this way. Solomon is expressing a view here that can be fairly described as complete resignation to the way things are. And that they cannot be changed. That this world and everything under the sun that is given by God to disappoint us and deflate us and discourage us. Solomon says, that can't be changed. There is no corner to be turned. There's no but coming. There's no except coming when it comes to everything that's under the sun. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. You know, there are times in sports where your team is down late in the game and all of a sudden your best hitter is coming up to bat and he's got the chance, right? Your team's down three, the bases are loaded and it's a long shot, but you're thinking, man, a grand slam would win this thing. And in the sports world, every once in a while, it happens. And it's one of the most awesome feelings. And it's why we stay watching the game until the bitter end, because we've seen the comeback, right? 
well, this is as though our best player is coming up to bat, shrugging his shoulders, looking up into the stand saying, I can't do it. Solomon was our best shot. Solomon's our ace in the hole. Solomon's our best player to use wisdom and power and wealth and might to try to find some source of lasting satisfaction under the sun. And Solomon's basically looking up at us after he swings three times, misses three times, and ends up going back to the bench saying, guys, I I struck out on this quest. The game's over. If you're looking for lasting meaning, satisfaction under the sun, the game is over. If you're looking for some invention, some new release, some technology, some philosophy, some perspective to be released that's going to somehow undo this sense of vanity, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to continue to live your life disappointed because it can't be done. Our second point this morning is this. Abandon confidence in the false messiah of human ingenuity. Abandon confidence in that false messiah of human ingenuity. That false messiah that says, you know what? We can make straight what's crooked. We can provide what you don't have. We'll we'll get there. Just, Just have hope. Just hope in the human spirit, the human mind, human ingenuity. We'll we'll, we'll get it done. And Solomon's saying, no, you won't. No, you won't. I've been there. I've tried it. You can't do it. And the reason for this, man, is the problem facing Solomon is the same problem facing us. And that problem goes back not to Solomon, but it goes way back before Solomon to the Garden of Eden. If you think about the Garden of Eden, Imagine if Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, were handed the book of Ecclesiastes. Hey, Adam, Eve, why don't you read this? They wouldn't have even come close to being able to understand what he was talking about. They would have thought, this is insane. What is he talking about? Vanity. What is he talking about? with futi- what, what, is, what, is, what does he mean there's no satisfaction or joy or, or happiness? What, what is he talking about? Of course there is. Because what? Prior to the fall, they didn't know disappointment. They didn't know unmet longings and desires. They had everything that they needed provided for, and it was provided for them by God. And and the most important thing that they had was they had an unhindered, uninterrupted relationship with God that was not broken by sin. So there was no such thing as as a, a disappointment for them. But then along comes the serpent, right? And if you remember, the serpent approaches Eve and and begins to tempt Eve. And, And let's think about the way that the serpent tempts Eve. Hey, Eve, did you see that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree that you're not supposed to have? Don't you want what you can't have, Eve? Aren't you dissatisfied with everything that God has provided for you in the garden since you can't have that, Eve? Oh, well, God told us don't even touch it or we're going to die. Well, you're not going to die. You know what, Eve? The reason why God doesn't want you to touch that or eat of it is because if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him. Don't you want to be like God, Eve? Aren't you dissatisfied with your current circumstances, Eve? Don't you want something better than what you have, Eve? And so you see the seeds of sin were introduced with the problem that we're facing here a desire for something that this world can't provide. 
Eve takes from the fruit, eats it, gives some to Adam who was with her. He eats it. God comes, confronts them. Adam says, it wasn't me, it was her. She says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. He curses the serpent. And then he turns to Eve and he says, Eve, look, you're going to have pain and childbearing and you're going to have unsatisfied desires. Your desire is going to be for your husband, for his role, for his power. You're going to struggle to submit to his leadership, Eve. And that's going to be for the rest of your life. And then he turns to Adam. Oh, by the way, Adam, you're going to work the ground by the sweat of your brow and it's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. This lush garden that you see all around you, Adam, this is the last sight that you're going to have of anything like this because now it's going to be hard work. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Answer according to the fall is what? Thorns and thistles. See, our, our problem, the reason why what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted is because that's not traceable back to something that man has has just simply made a mistake at or failed at that can be corrected. It's traceable back to the fall of man. It's traceable back to sin. And so it's the brokenness of this world and human ingenuity cannot undo the brokenness of this world. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And in fact, in Ecclesiastes 7.13, we'll read this. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And so there Solomon is saying it directly. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and God has made it crooked. God has ordained this world the way that it is. We talked about in that in the Atone series, right? That even sin is a part of God's plan. The brokenness of this world is a part of God's plan to do what? To drive us to Christ, to drive us to God. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. There are things that are not here that we wish were here. These desires that we would say, man, if I had more of this, I'd be satisfied. If I had more money, more time, more friends, more love, if I had more family, if I had more wisdom, then I would be satisfied. Solomon is saying, what is not there, what's lacking, it can't be counted as though it is there. He's saying that's from God. Why though? We have a desire for health. Why, even if we found a cure for cancer and a cure for ALS and a cure for the worst of the diseases, why would there just simply be another disease that would crop up that would bring us to our knees? Why, God? Why can't we, with all of our wisdom, universally come up with a a plan to eradicate crime and poverty? Why does that still plague us generation after generation after generation after generation? Why can't the world powers all get together with their collective wisdom and figure out some way that we can agree upon a set of moral principles by which humanity can live according to? Why is there still the barren woman who goes home after church on Sunday and weeps to herself because of all the families that she saw and she wishes that could be her? Why does the man at the top of the corporate ladder take his life after realizing that he's reached everything that he ever wanted and yet he's not still satisfied. Why, God? We have to go back to verse 13 for the answer. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Why? Because he wants it to drive us to him not to ourselves, not to our own wisdom, 
not to human ingenuity. No, he wants it to drive us to him. He wants us to go from our dissatisfaction with what's under the sun to satisfaction and confidence and joy to the one that is over the sun. And Solomon's trying to help us understand that here. And if we're waiting for our soul to find rest in this world, we're going to be waiting until it's too late. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Verse 16, I said in my heart then, I have acquired great wisdom and surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive though that this is also but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Again, it's been by wisdom that Solomon has been investigating all of these things in this chapter. And it's, it's by wisdom that he returns, or it's to wisdom that he returns here at the, the last few verses of chapter 1. And he's, he's boasting in his wisdom, not in a sinful way, but he's just trying to say, hey, look, again, I'm uniquely qualified, says Solomon, to be able to launch this investigation. It's been by my wisdom, which, by the way, is pretty great. I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So Solomon's saying, look, it's not wisdom that's failed me on this. I've got the, the, the skins on the wall. I can point you to the, the degrees that I've got. I've been to Jerusalem University. I've, I've passed the classes. I've, I've submitted the papers. I'm qualified to make this study is what he's telling us here. He's saying, don't, don't look for somebody else that's going to come behind me and give you a new angle, a new perspective based on human wisdom, again, or ingenuity that's going to be able to say, look, no, he missed this point, and actually here's where the satisfaction is. Solomon's saying, no, I, I've got the wisdom. I've done that. But even with all that wisdom, it's, it's not unlocking some mystical revelation for him to say, this is where satisfaction and joy and hope and meaning are found. All of that wisdom that he had couldn't answer the question of 1-3 where he says, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All of the wisdom of Solomon couldn't overcome the indictment that vanity of vanity, all is vanities. I couldn't do it. But what Solomon is doing for us in recording his thoughts here in chapter 1, and as we'll see also in chapter 2, Solomon is helping us. He's giving us a leg up because Solomon's saying, look, I've, I've done this heavy lifting for you. I've experienced the, as he says here, vexation, which is a word that means anger, frustration, angst. I've experienced the anger and the sorrow by being disappointed time and time and time again, looking for satisfaction and joy everywhere under the sun. He says, look, I've, I've done this all. Will you just ride my coattails on this one and just take my word for it? Will you just trust me? Our final point this morning is this. Learn from Solomon's exhaustive exploration. Learn from Solomon's exhaustive exploration. Sometimes when somebody gives us their view on something, maybe the new burger restaurant that just opened up in town and they say, hey, I went there. You know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I had this burger. It wasn't that great. We think to ourselves, okay, but I'll be the judge of that. I want to go experience it. Maybe you had a bad waitress. Maybe you had a bad waiter. Maybe you had a bad burger. Maybe you just don't know what good food is. I'll, I'll go check this one out for myself. That's fine when it comes to burgers. Let's not do that with God's word. I mean, here we have King Solomon, the wisest man from a human point of view that's ever walked the earth. And he's telling us, look, I've, I've been there and I've done that. 
I've checked this out. By the way, I've got great wisdom. I'm surpassing all who was in Jerusalem before me. And, and, and look, this wisdom was good, and, and I experienced it. And it was good to my heart even, even as I explored the, the gamut from wisdom to folly. He said, I've, I've looked at everything. And in the end, guys, let, let me tell you what, what it led me to. It led me to vexation. It led me to sorrow. And so he's, he's pleading with us in some ways saying, hey, look, just take my word for it. But man, this isn't like going to the local Christian bookstore and, and picking a book off the shelf that says, live your best life now. This isn't a book that you're picking up from the, the local Christian bookstore that says, hey, look, I've, I've, I've considered all the different world philosophies out there and, and just take my word for it that Christianity is good and, and just go about your life. No, these are the words of King Solomon, but these are the words of King Solomon written under the inspiration of who? God. Solomon's got the quill in hand, but God has got the message. And he, God, is telling us, look, you want to search for meaning and lasting significance and substance on this earth? You want to find something that's going to make you finally and ultimately joyful and happy, that's not going to disappoint you, not going to wear off, not going to lose the new car smell? You want something like that in this earth? God is telling us that you searching for that is just going to leave you vexed and sorrowful. It's going to make you angry. It's going to make you frustrated. It's going to make you disappointed and it's going to grieve you. It's going to leave you depressed. God is telling us this through Solomon's experience. So men, let's learn from Solomon's exploration. And let's rejoice that we don't have to experience what Solomon experienced here. If we will understand the message that he is delivering, we don't have to go through the vexation and the sorrow. If we will understand what Solomon is telling us, and what he's telling us is that God has designed this world to disappoint us. God has designed this world so that experientially we will be able to verify by our experience what he has already told us in his word. And that is that idols can't do anything for you. God has designed this world that way in order to drive us to him. God has created a world in which our souls will truly be restless so that they will ultimately find rest in him. He's created a world that will make us keenly feel like we are truly aliens and strangers on this earth. And there's one of two responses that we can have to that, man. The first response says, I don't like that. And so I'm going to fill my life with the, the pursuit of as much joy as I possibly can to dull the sense that I feel that I'm not really satisfied. And how many do we know that are living that life right now? Chasing one promotion after another, one possession after another, one drug or drink after another. Knowing that it's never going to be what satisfies, right? I mean, man, think about the, the, the culture of alcohol and drugs right, right then and there. Those two things are built upon the reality that Solomon is talking about here, that it doesn't last. The buzz wears off and you feel miserable. The high goes away and you need another fix. So there's that first option and that is drown yourself in the pursuit of those things that won't satisfy but the second option is to say, 
okay, God, why? And to really wrestle with that. God, why am I not satisfied with my job? Why am I not satisfied with my marriage? Why am I not satisfied with my family? Why am I not satisfied with my house? Okay, why, why am I not, why is this not enough for me? And in asking those questions to be led to the conclusion that God wants you to arrive at, which is because your satisfaction should be found in him. John says, do not love the things of the world. For the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they're not from God, but they're from the world. And he says this, he says, the world is passing away. The world is fleeting, along with all of its desires. But the one who endures forever, what? Does the will of God. Sounds a lot like Solomon, doesn't it? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. See, man, that's why this world is the way it is. It's designed to disappoint because God wants our satisfaction not to be here, but with him. He wants to be the hero of the story. So every hero we look to on this earth is going to fail us until we find that he is that. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the grace that you've provided and the mercy that you have provided in a world that fails to satisfy us. God, I pray that our affections would truly be for you and that we would anchor them to you, that we would find satisfaction in you, that, that as Augustine said, Lord, that our soul might find rest, not in this world, because it can't provide it here, but in you. God, I pray that you'd be pleased with the rest of our day, that we would be found faithful. In